We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11 today, so you're welcome to, and also Genesis, so you can put a thumb in Hebrews and a finger in Genesis or flip-flop it however you want or read it from your, your phone or whatever you'd like to do. A number of years ago, I was in my home, my parents' home, rummaging through the bookshelf. My dad likes to read, and I came across a workbook, and I pulled it down, and I was sort of excited because it was a, a workbook from a seminary. And it seemed like, well, this is great. My dad is actually starting to take seminary courses. That was a, a great encouragement to me. So I pulled the workbook down from the shelf and found that it was, it, was, it was the first class. It was Seminary 101, and they started in the Old Testament with Genesis. It was a survey course. So I opened it up to the very first chapter, the introduction to the introductory course on the Old Testament. And the first chapter was entitled... Something like the importance and value of myth. And it went on to explain how wonderful myth is. How important it is that, 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 that through myth we can find out the big questions of life. Like, like who am I? Where did I come from? And where am I going? And how to live practically. I was disappointed. God's word isn't true. God's word is a myth. But that's okay. Because it's still good for us, but to put the Word of God, a seminary course, putting the Word of God on the level of myth, to base our beliefs on an untrue story, man, can't believe it. It's fortunate that God's Word is not myth. It's not some product of our imagination, but, but it's true, and it's grounded in reality, and it's historical. From the front to the back, from cover to cover, it defines history, rightly, as his story. And it speaks of the marvelous and wonderful and magnificent, our Father, the Creator, who has a special love for his children that he will not let go. Now, this word speaks into our lives in many ways, and it does it in real ways for all time and for all places. All over the world, right here, for all people. The Bible, the Word of God, is just as real as the mirror that you looked into this morning. And I'm going to assume that I can't see that well, but I think everybody looked in a mirror this morning. In fact, God's Word is described in the book of James as a mirror. God's word is a mirror. And when you look in a mirror, I don't imagine any of you got up this morning and, and, and looked in that mirror and went, ugh. And then went on and got dressed and came to church. No, you look in the mirror and you go, man, I got to get this stuff off my face. I got to put this other stuff on my face. I got to comb this stuff out of my hair and put this other stuff in my hair. And, and I got to get ready and I got to get dressed. And I got the mirror makes a difference in my life. The Bible is a mirror. It's a mirror for reflection. It's a mirror for action. And it's not, hey, I just want to, I, I don't want to think about that. It's for action. It says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. God's word is a mirror. So what we want to do today is we want to think about reality and we want to think about this mirror. And I want us to look in this mirror and I want you to think about your faith. And we're going to look at a man of faith who walked around in the, Middle East, in the Middle East, just as we walk around Memphis, he walked around there about 4,000 years ago. And his name is Abraham. You probably know a number of things about Abraham. He's pretty famous. 
His ancestry can be traced back by three religions. Christianity. He is the father of, of Judaism. He is also can be traced back to Islam. If you were to count how many times his name was used, it's used three, over 300 times in the Old Testament and New Testament. And then even in this passage in Hebrews chapter 11 called the Hall of Fame of Faith, more words are given to Abraham than anybody else. The Apostle Paul in the book of Romans, uh, uh, his greatest theological treatise, he used Abraham to illustrate the important doctrine called justification by faith. The book of Matthew, first book in the New Testament, begins by linking Jesus to Abraham. He's been called the father of faith. I want to think about him as we read God's word. Hebrews chapter 11, there's sort of two parts to this. In Hebrews 11, uh, I'll read verses 11 and 12, and then I'm going to skip down to verse 17 and read 17 through 19. So here's the word of the Lord. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Then in verse 17. By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be named. And Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. That's the word of the Lord. Now, if you know anything about Genesis and the story of Abraham that starts at the end of around chapter 11 and goes up to, I think, chapter 25 or somewhere in there, at the very start, we're told something. We're told that Sarah was barren, that she couldn't have children. Well, that's difficult, but that's okay. You can be fruitful. You can have a wonderful life. That's a fact. But you add to that that in the next few chapters, God began unfolding a promise to Abraham saying that he will be a father of a great nation. That he will have descendants more than he could possibly count. Now, how's he going to do that? Sarah couldn't have children. And yet God has promised this to Abraham. So if Abraham believes this promise, then what he has to do is believe not just in the ability of God to make good on his promise, but God will have to do it in a way that is humanly impossible. And Abraham believed the promise of God, even when he couldn't figure out exactly how he was going to go about doing it. A man of faith. But he wanted to figure it out. And so as you read on in Genesis, you get to around chapter 15, he's talking to the Lord and he's trying to understand this. He's trying to say, you know, Lord, you you said that I was going to have children, that I was going to have descendants, but I don't even have one child. Now, I've got this member of my household whose name is Eliezer, and and, uh, I guess he's the one that you're talking about. And the Lord answered him and he said, your son will be your heir. Now let's go outside. So he takes him out of the tent into the, 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 the cool, arid desert air on a clear night when you can look up at the stars. 
don't know if you've ever experienced that. Uh, I walked out one time in Colorado on a cool, clear night from inside. And when I walked out and looked up at the stars, the more I stared, the more stars appeared as my eyes adjusted to the darkness. I think that's sort of the idea here. He said, Abraham, look up at the stars. Count them. Can't count them. They're more than he could count. That's what your descendants are going to look like. That's what God told him. So that's settled. Now he knows that this this promise is going to come from him. It's going to be his child. Not a member of his household, but his own child. Well, time goes on and the story continues. And and, uh, uh, Sarah, wanting to help out, comes to Abraham and says, says, Abraham, I I can't have children, but I have a a maidservant and you can have her. Maybe maybe that's the way. You know, he'll still come from you uh, and you can just go with with Hagar and then you can uh, fulfill the promise. And so that's what Abraham did. And they kind of figured, well, okay, everything must be okay. Uh, Everything ought to be fine. You know, at least we have a child now and things go on. And then about 13 years later, God came to Abraham again, and they're talking. Abraham, by this time, is 99 years old, and Sarah is is 90 years old. And God says, Abraham, Ishmael is not the son of promise. You will have another son named Isaac. There's an indication here that Abraham's faith might have grown a little stale or might have gotten a little weak because his reaction in verse 17 is that he fell on his face and laughed. And he said to the Lord, you know, Lord, I'm an old guy. I'm an old codger. And my my wife, Sarah, bless her heart, she's the best looking 90-year-old for miles around. But I don't know about this. Can't you just work out this promise with, with Ishmael? But the Lord said, no. He said, you will bear a son and I will establish my promise through this son whose name is going to be Isaac. So look where the Lord has Abraham. The promise was not going to happen by human ingenuity. It wasn't going to happen by the the fruit of human effort. And it wasn't going to happen by self-reliance. But it was only going to happen by the grace of God. Time moves on just a little bit and we get to Genesis chapter 18. And and the Lord, through his messengers, is having a conversation with, uh, with Abraham. And he says, surely I'll return to you at this time next year. This is verse 10, chapter 18. And behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Well, they're in the tent, and Sarah's listening at the tent door. Abraham can't see her. Now, the passage says that Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. Sarah was past childbearing. Not only was she barren all her life, but she was past the age of having children. So Sarah laughed to herself. Saying, after I've become old, shall I have pleasure in my Lord being old also? She laughed. No way. And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Saying, shall I indeed bear a child when I am so old? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? The Bible is a mirror, and that's what the mirror says. Is anything too difficult for the Lord? Isaac was born. The, the miracle son of two proud parents. See, what God had done, he planned and he worked in a way that made God's promise to Abraham humanly impossible. 
He saw to it that Sarah was barren from the beginning. He refused the human solution uh, by having a legal heir named Eliezer. He, He rejected the solution of having a child with his maidservant. And he waited till Abraham and Sarah were so old that it wasn't physically possible to have children. And he predicted the very time of the child's birth. Nothing is too difficult for the Lord. He does what he wants in his way, according to his will and his word. So Isaac was born. What a, what a special child. What a, a miracle. Can you imagine the joy that Abraham had of being able to, to spend time with this child of, of promise, this, this cog in the wheel of God's wonderful plan to make Abraham the father of many nations? Surely he loved Isaac. Surely he he cherished this miracle child who was a blessing of the Lord. And they lived happily ever after. Well, not quite. In Genesis 22, in the second portion of our passage in Hebrew, here's what the idea is. It says, sometime later, and it means probably when Isaac was probably in his mid to late teens, it says that God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham... Abraham said, here I am. Then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the regions of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Whoa. Whoa. What? Remember now that this really happened. Imagine if you were Abraham, what would your thought process be? God has told you, to, or told Abraham to take this promised child, this miracle, and sacrifice him like the heathen do, to, to go to a mountain near Jerusalem, to make a pile of stones into an altar, to lay his son Isaac down on the altar, to put, put uh, wood all around it, and then to raise the knife, sacrifice him, and then set the wood on fire and burn the sacrifice up. That's what the Lord was asking. Lord, you want me to do what? Just imagine if Abraham came to you. I could see Abraham coming to a pastor, you know, for counsel. Hey, uh, God uh, asked me to sacrifice Isaac. What do you think? I said, well, you know, Abraham, uh, uh, are you sure that God told you that? I mean, I mean, does it really make sense? Think about how long you guys waited for Isaac. I mean, God promised a, a heritage through Isaac. Why would he tell you such a cruel, unnatural, inhuman thing like sacrificing this son that you love? Plus, you live in a a pagan society. Polytheism was was the religion of choice. You just, if you wanted a God, you made up a God and you had him. You have this God, you have this God. What would the neighbors think if you were to do something so cruel and so inhuman? It just doesn't seem to make sense. Let's get the idea here. God is testing Abraham. He is really testing him because he is asking Abraham to sacrifice his son. But he's doing more than that. He's saying, are you going to believe me, Abraham? Are you going to trust me? See, it already he had promised Abraham that his descendants were, were going to be more numerous than these stars in the sky, than more sand that's on the seashore, and they're going to come through, through Isaac. So here's the test. Here we are. 
Abraham, if he sacrifices Isaac, then how can God possibly keep his promise to make him a great nation? But if he doesn't sacrifice Isaac, then he disobeys the Lord. That's not right. It was a mess. Abraham was faced with the biggest question mark that he'd ever experienced in his life. You know, sometimes as we grow in our faith, doesn't God do that to us? Doesn't he give us this big question mark, one of these, Lord, what are you doing type moments? You know, maybe it's because we get complacent in our faith or maybe because he wants to call us to attention or maybe he wants to add a chapter to our book of faith. So he, he throws us a test and sometimes we get confused and sometimes we become unsure and we go, why, what's going on here? And we don't see all the time that he is there working, that he is testing us, that he's molding us like a master potter molds clay in his hands or like the refiner's fire meant to make us into what the refiner has in mind for each one of us. He's saying, are you going to trust me? When was the last time that God might have seemed confusing to you? When is the last time that he threw a big question mark at you? Confusing questions. Faith questions. Some questions we don't understand that are as difficult as Abraham's were. Physical trouble can cause questions. Lord, why didn't you answer my prayer? Lord, why do you allow people to suffer? Lord, why did you allow my friend who was a faithful pastor for 60 years to be rewarded with a body wrecked by painful Parkinson's disease the last two years of his life? It just doesn't seem to make sense. Lord, why didn't you keep me from this decision? What have I done to deserve this? Lord, I know this is what you want, but it's so hard for me to do. Lord, if I give up my Isaac, I wonder if I can ever be happy again. See, there will always be questions. And we'll always have questions from time to time. It's wonderful that we have a Lord who has a love for us that will not let us go. Because the next time you go through one of these periods, something to remember is this. Questions don't trump faith. Faith trumps questions. The power and the presence and the love of God overrules or rather rules over these questions and circumstances in our lives 100% of the time. Even when our faith takes us beyond logic. It's the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things unseen, even when we're convinced that there's no possible way out, no matter how impossible it may seem. God is always working. And faith says, I believe that God's word is true. I know that God exists in my situation, and I believe that his good is my good, even when I can't figure it out. Abraham gives the answer. In Hebrews eleven nineteen. it says, He considered that God is able to raise men even from the dead. And he chose to obey God and to place his promised son into his heavenly father's hands. Somewhere he had learned a valuable lesson. 
Our faith doesn't rest in our ability to understand. Our faith rests in the faithfulness of God. Sometimes there really is no other way than to trust and obey. Because faith in the word sometimes gets beyond logic. It gets beyond explanation. It becomes the only substance of things hoped for. Well, Abraham faced this question mark head on and he, he took God his word. And you know the story. He rose early the next morning and he got Isaac and, and uh, uh, his faith was saying, I don't know how this is going to work out, Lord, but I'm going to take you at your word. And off they go. Now, you might say, you know, uh, if Abraham knew that God was going to raise his son from the dead, if he knew that, then this was sort of a, a moot point. You know, this was kind of like an act. This was kind of like a, a, just a dress rehearsal. It was no big deal. Abraham could say, you know, he's going to come back. He know, he could raise him from the dead. So it's not that, that I know the Lord can do that. It's not a big deal. He knew that the only way for God to keep his promise was to do a supernatural act of, of uh, resurrecting Isaac, putting him back together. I'm good with that. It'll, it'll be over. No harm, no foul. Nothing, no problem. But think about if you were Abraham. And even if you knew for certain about the character of God, you knew that even though it had never happened before, You don't want to limit God. He can do whatever he wants. If that means bringing someone back to life, he can certainly do that. But even with a faith that great, wouldn't it still be be gut-wrenching to raise that knife and to bludgeon his miracle son that he loved? Life can be messy. And even with the greatest faith, it couldn't have been easy. The blade goes up. Abraham had done this before. He knew what he was doing. He was going to obey God and trust in God, even in the middle of something that he couldn't humanly understand. And there was, you know, think about that moment. There was nothing, nothing. Think how, think how raw that moment must have been. An impossible moment. The Lord is there. Abraham is there. And Isaac is there. Abraham is sacrificing his promised son, his miracle son, Isaac. As we look in the mirror of this passage, let me suggest a couple of things. Abraham is called the father of faith. Now, why is that? Is it because he was perfect? He wasn't perfect. If you read his story, you know, twice he he chickened out in fear. uh, Once to a king, once to the Pharaoh, because he thought they were going to steal his wife, Sarah, who was so pretty. And if they did that, they would kill him. So he said, well, here's a half truth. Tell him, then you're not my wife. You're just you're just my sister. So he acted in fear. He took matters into his own hands when he, when he had a child through his maidservant. He wasn't a perfect guy. But I think the reason that Abraham is mentioned in this hall of fame of faith, Hebrews chapter 11, why he's called the father of faith, is because you see, when the time came, Abraham was all in. He was all in. When the Lord came calling, Abraham Obeyed. So let me encourage you to look into the mirror of the Word of God and ask yourself, am I all in? Am I to the point where I'm willing to step out in faithful obedience? Am I all in? 
about the areas of my life? Am I, am I all in when it comes to my marriage? Do I love my wife like Christ loved the church? Do I submit to my husband like my Father in heaven expects? What about other areas of your life, of our lives, those compartments that we have? Can you say, I'm all in? Another thing we could think about in this passage is, is this. What is my Isaac? Is it an attitude? Is it a way of thinking? Is it a possession? Is it a blessing that maybe we've taken a hold of and are clinging to tightly? Is there something in my life, no matter how wonderful it is, that if given the choice, I don't know if I would place it on the altar of sacrifice? Am I all in? All in. That's the pattern of real faith. Martin Luther once read this Bible story, the story of Abraham and Isaac, in his family devotions. And when he had finished, his daughter Katie said, I don't believe it. I don't believe that God would treat his son like that. Luther answered, but Katie, he did. God proved his faithfulness to his word. God said, stop to Abraham. But I'm so grateful that he didn't say stop to the cross. He provided a ram for the sacrifice in Isaac's place. And he provided his son in our place. And maybe that's the greatest lesson here. See, if God in his great love can provide his son for us when we were in an impossible place amidst all the question marks in life. Can't he do all things? Aren't you glad that our father is faithful, that our father, when it comes to us, is all in? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are indeed so grateful that your word is like a mirror and that we can look into your word and, and, and see a reflection. We don't just look away, but instead we uh, uh, see that reflection and we do something about it through your power and through your strength. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to us. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.